I have a word this morning that I think is uh, really just going to uh, just set the tempo for, for our, our year. I'd love it if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, starting in chapter number 3. We're going to start reading at verse number 10. So I try to read to the, through the first two books of Timothy every year multiple times because as our church gets larger and there are less models out there for us to learn from and glean from, I've never been to a church like ours, ever. What, what we have is so unique and so special and I, I want it to stay that way. I, I don't want us to be the collateral damage of, you know, a woke spirit or a prideful spirit or in any way derail what God is doing. But we can be people who say at the end of our lives, we left our church better than we found it and it went from strength to strength, glory to glory. So in order to do that, we just have to have these checks. So I love reading Paul's letters to Timothy. He was in the same spot that we're in. It was a young, thriving church in a very worldly culture and it grew really fast. They were getting campuses left, right, and center. And Timothy was in need of some discipleship, just as we are. So I'm going to start reading in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 10. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my words, my teaching. And I want you to underline this. And my manner of life. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. How beautiful is that? And all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from who you have learned them from. And right here, Paul is talking about himself. I, I want you to not just take my words, but I want you to copy the way in which I live them. That's what Paul is saying here. I want you to not just have confidence in the God of the word, but I want you to have confidence in me as your leader and the way I've taught them to you. And from that childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for your salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right. The title of my message this morning is Mind Your Manner. And so I, uh, one of the biggest battles for me in life is to make congruent the Word of God that I read and the spirit in which God is saying it and how I'm meant to receive it. So we see multiple instances throughout the Bible. I was raised in a very religious home, Anglican home, wonderful parents, wonderful church experience. But I would have to say my default was that God was mad, that God was a punisher, that he was looking for reasons to pull one of his lightning bolts out of its harness and unleash it on us unwishing people who did the wrong thing. And there were many times when I would default if something bad happened in my life, if I went through a trial, I would think to myself, God, what have I done wrong? Why are you punishing me? And I realized I was incongruent between the word and the spirit of God. That's why God had to send 
Jesus because the Pharisees were doing a terrible job at representing God the Father. So God's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to send you down there because they are ruining my reputation. And they're reading my word, but instead of it bringing life and liberty and freedom and wisdom and helping them how to live, it's putting burdens on their backs that these same leaders are not lifting a finger to help them unload. So I want to just share uh, a couple of thoughts today on uh, the manner of our church. And, and Pastor Jürgen and I have been, I believe, as, and I, I, I am not prideful in saying this, have made us the leaders of this church for a reason. He's put the word of God in this man's mouth and he's also seen us as the fit vessels to deliver that word, to be the role models of not just the word but also the spirit in which it needs to be carried. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. I'll never forget many, many years ago, um, we had a cherished night. It was when all cherished nights were here at Balboa and all everybody would gather here and we'd like be crammed up to the very front. And... You know, we'd have to plan it so the, the people would come in from rehearsal, but it was such a tight window, and we had to get everything set up in here, and we'd had women snaked around the building, getting ready to come in. It was really exciting. And in our pre-planning meeting, I said to the events team, I said, I don't want the doors to the auditorium, or actually to the building, to be open till 6. I want to make sure that the team has enough time to set up, and the, the guitar players have enough time to tune their guitar and do what needs to be done. The media people, Naomi putting the stuff together in the foyer for the food. I said, girls, I don't want you to open the foyer, the, the foyer till six. And um, fair enough. I'm thinking they're going to take my words and then filter it through my spirit. Um, and then I hear this report of this altercation outside because there is an elderly woman with a bladder condition trying to get into the building to use the bathroom. And events in turn said, no, Pastor Leanne said, nobody's allowed in here till 6 p.m. So you're going to have to wait. Uh, and so so I, I used that very extreme example to say that you can take my words and not in any way be inerrant in how you, in, in what I've said. You can quote me verbatim. But do you have my spirit? Because it makes all the difference. And I had to say to the events coordinator who was overseeing me, I said, please ask them, when have I ever refused anyone to go to the bathroom? When have I ever stopped you from relieving yourself when you were in such a predicament? So if I wouldn't do it, what makes you think you can? So this is really the, the frame that I, want to, uh, that I want to paint the picture within today. Mind your manner. So I have four points that I think are going to help us today as we find congruency between the word and the spirit in which that word needs to be manifest. Okay, first thought is this. Many personalities, and somebody give a big smile. Many personalities, and this is so awesome. But one spirit. Many personalities. We want diversity as far as, as sure as the day is long. We want you to wear what you want to wear if it's not scandalous. <laughs> or, not a, or not a Biden-Harris shirt. Let's just throw that one out there too. 
We want you to, we want you to be you. I thank God when I look out at this auditorium, I don't see bricks, I see living stones. I see a Senator Sam, the human Labrador right here sitting there. <laughs> I see a Christian who is ready to entertain at any time, any day, anywhere, and he delivers every time. I don't want Christian to be like anybody else. I don't want anyone else to be, I, I want, I love Jesse Sullivan. I love that he's the most likable man in our church. I, I love Tom Foster. I love his soft heart and his brute strength. I, lo I love how different everybody, I love Coach Andre, who woke up and chose violence, but is one of the sweetest and strongest people you will ever meet in all the right ways. And I don't want us to all start dressing the same. I don't want us to all start doing the same, like not an external sameness, not one in personality, what, not one in physical expression, but one in spirit. And you'll find that this is what uh, Paul said over and over again to the churches in Ephesians and in Corinth. I want you to be of one mind. And it's not so much in agreeing with one another. It's in agreeing with God. If Jürgen and I ever come out of congruency with the Spirit of God, then by all means, leave the church. <laughs> I mean, that's the honest truth because, you know, you, you don't have the authority to change it if, you, if you're not the top dog. But follow us, just as Paul said in the book of Corinthians and to the Corinthian church, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So look at this. I'm talking about a congruency in spirit. Listen to this. This is hilarious. So Jesus had to constantly remind his disciples of this, by the way. In Luke 9, 51 to 56, it says, to this, it says this. Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messages, messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. They rejected Jesus because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, when his peeps, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command that fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But then Jesus turned and rebuked them and he said this, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, this is an interesting story because the disciples are referencing a Bible story. When Elijah actually did that, he called down fire from heaven. He, he was a, a cranky so-and-so. He, he prophesied over some youths who were teasing him because he was bald. And he, you know, cursed them and female bears came out and mauled them. Okay, so the disciples are reading the Word of God. They know the Word of God. They went to awaken you. They have the diploma. They went to the party. But when it comes time to apply it, they are missing the Spirit entirely. One of the things that grieves me most, and it, it, it's, um, it's actually exemplified in this story, is our propensity as humans to want to hurt people that have hurt us and rejected us. Wow. So that's what the disciples are saying in this story. They're saying, 
you rejected us, we're going to scorch you until there's no tomorrow. We're going to grind you into the dust. And Jesus actually had to say to them, what, what are you doing, guys? That's not how we respond. Can you change your spirit and instead pray for this girl and actually believe for, for her best? Can you believe that there will be great success? But part of us, they want it, we, we like to indulge that part when we're rejected or we're wounded or we're hurt or somebody mistreats us where we want to, we want to toxify an environment that God created as much as possible to be perfect. And, and we can get a bent and then we can share that bent and we can make other people toxic. And I would say today, it is most likely seen in the feminine. There are certainly some men out there that can be horribly vindictive, but it is more common in women. And it's something that we have to be really mindful of, that we release to God, we choose to bless and not curse, that we pray for those who have let us down and spitefully use us, like Jesus said in his first message to us. And after I applied that to my life in this particular scenario, I can honestly say I am joyful at her success. I'm joyful that she's thriving. When I let go of that fleshly part where I wasn't operating in the spirit of God, everything shifted within me. And I could honestly say, I am glad at her success. I am glad at her happiness. Can I ask you that, this question? Can you be what you never had? Because a lot of us follow the example of what has been done to us, even us pastors, even us Christian disciples. I never, and I'm not saying this to get any pity, I never had a Leanne, ever. I didn't have a me. Nobody was as nice to me as I am to other people. But I, I'm telling you, that, that's what the Lord has required of me. So I want to ask you that question. Are you able to be what you have never had? Are you able to be the pastor that you have never had? Are you able to be the friend that you have never had? Are you able to forgive others even though you weren't forgiven? Are you able to get over a wounding without intoxifying the people around you and gossiping and stirring up strife and embittering and souring people and taking what God created to be a perfect environment and toxifying it because you're hurt? What spirit are you of? We have to guard, guard our hearts. The story of Herodias is a very, very poignant one because we see in that story, because of her offense, she defiled her own daughter, made her complicit to, to a murder. That same daughter ended up dying by falling into the ice and having her neck cut off. The very way in which this daughter commanded John the Baptist to, to have his life ended at the behest of his mother of her, excuse me, of her mother, is the, the very same way that this young girl died. Be very careful that you don't defile your children. Don't defile your sons and daughters. And in this sense, I'm talking about the spiritual ones. Whom has God placed in your world? And it's easy to cross the line from harmless venting. And I do think there needs to be an outlet of frustration. I do I'm not saying we all have to be silent and mute and pretend every day is the best day ever, okay? That's not, I'm not saying you need to pretend. But I'm saying there's a boundary that is too often crossed where there is a souring of people and all of a sudden someone's on the flipping blacklist. 
and they're not getting off the blacklist, they're there forever and they're no longer invited to the party and nobody's their friend and nobody likes their posts on Instagram and it shouldn't be that way. Remember, we are many personalities, but we are one spirit. We model the spirit of God. And if you don't know what that looks like, the spirit of Jürgen and Leanne. Do you see us cutting people off? I mean, it would have to be a big, dark, terrible day. You would have to do something that hurt people around you to have you extricated from our church congregation. And even then, there would be room for repentance. So what I'm saying is, if I wouldn't do it, what makes you think you can do it? Many personalities, one spirit. Second thought. Learn to discern with the spirit of God and you will make correct judgments. Judgment is part of life. We all have to learn to judge rightly between good fruit and bad fruit. But sometimes we can misdiscern because we're not discerning through the right filter. Look at this. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. If you don't learn to discern through God's filter, you will constantly make incorrect judgments. And here were the Pharisees. At that time, they were God's mouthpiece and his representation. And they followed the law to the letter, so they thought. But then there was a spiritual aspect where they were brutal and harsh and uncaring and dismissive and exclusive. And God and Jesus actually had to get in their grill, call them hypocrites and tell them it's not meant to be this way. In John chapter 8, we see the story of Jesus having an encounter with a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, adultery is bad. And there was a law at the time, and rightly so, if you're a homewrecker and you're busting up marriages then because of the law, it's one of the Ten Commandments, your life is over. So, so it was, in some ways, they were following the law. When the Pharisees said, and they came to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. We don't need a judge or a jury. We saw her. Look at her. She's naked. <laughs> Covered in a sheet. <laughs> but, but Jesus coming in, he could look beyond the external, and see the heart of the woman and then discern rightly. They wanted to destroy her, but Jesus wanted to restore her because he had the right filter. He was able to discern with the Spirit of God. Can, can I ask you to do that in our church? And it means we have to take a minute. You, you kind of can't just... Rah, rah, rah. Labeled, blacklisted, outcast, troublemaker... Just take a freaking minute. The Pharisees may have been right, but they were so wrong. Was she perfect? No. Was she wrong? Yes. But because Jesus doesn't just know the word of God, but the ways of God, the spirit of God, he was able to restore this woman. Can I ask you this question? Are our structures only set up to tolerate perfect people? Let me, actually, let me tell you about a woman I used to know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, back in Auckland, there was this woman. And um, she was the face of their Bible college. They started like an Awaken New College. 
and they called it Integrity Bible College, but they spelled integrity wrong, and so it was inti- uh, Integrity Bible College. So, <laughs> but, but she was the face. She, w- she was a young woman in the youth ministry. She was the face. She was the one who was meant to get out there and get all the youth into uh, Integrity Bible College. <laughs> right? And her husband was the dean. And um, my gosh, this girl, she was the face, she was the mouthpiece. It was a year-long course. After three weeks, she quit. Three weeks! I mean, what a flake. (laughs) And then, and then, oh my gosh. And so then she started a connect group. And I'm thinking, wow, well, she's got to do better this time. And after three months, three months, it became a burden, and so she quit. She stopped doing it. And then she thought, well, I should serve somewhere. So she joined the kids' church team, and she hated it. So every time she was rostered on, she would make up an excuse as to why she couldn't serve till eventually they got the picture and they just took her off the roster. It was funny. I found a photo of her the other day. Go ahead and put that photo up. It was me. I was that girl, and here I stand as your pastor. And if you had tossed me out, and if you had counted me out, and if you had boxed me and put me in a little package, oh, we know who she is, you would have missed me. You would have missed me. And oh, I had some journeys on the way. I had some lessons to learn, but I was that flake. That was Leanne, circa 1997. So who are you labeling in a season or a moment that God's actually saying, I can't have you, I can't have you do this. I can't have you box them. I, there is a future for them beyond what your eyes might see now. You will miss it every time and you will judge people if you don't discern through the Spirit of God. Somebody say amen. And this former flake says amen. Third thought, leave some room for the Holy Spirit. This is vitally important because if we want drones and if we want to run out all strength, then we will make all their decisions for them and we will stifle out creativity and we will make people fearful and we'll only have people who like to be dominated around us. Watch this. Mark chapter 10. Now, as he was going out the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is the rich young ruler. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he answered and said to him, teacher, All these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But this man was sad at this word because he had, and he was sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was quite vulnerable 
for a rich, young ruler. There was a lot of insecurities on the inside of him. And I think this is really important for us to see that no matter what package people come into us, there's always a, a soft person on the inside that we need to be. Well, there, there's a person on the inside that has insecurities and vulnerabilities that we have to manage correctly. And I love this because Jesus doesn't command him. I command you, follow me. He gives him an opportunity. He gives him an invitation. Come, follow me. I think we do our teams and the people in our world a disservice when we command things. Now, I think it's different if you're an employee and you're not doing a job, then you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be commanding stuff. And if you're not listening and you're not doing your job, you're, you'll probably lose it. But for definitely volunteers, leaders, issues of of future, things that should be the choice of a man and woman, they should be conversations, not commands. Don't command things that should be a conversation. Otherwise, we shut down people's ability to think. We shut down people's ability to hear from the Lord themselves. It doesn't mean that we don't give instruction, that we don't say, here's what I'm feeling. But there's a big difference between a conversation and a command conversations create room for creativity and discussion and breathe things out and leave things not in a tense, fractured way, but instead with the person feeling valued and honoured as an individual. Leave some room for the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thought about that word command and... um, You know, it's interesting in the Bible, in reference to that word command, there's only really two times that we hear that spoken. A lot more in the Old Testament and obviously the Ten Commandments. But when Jesus used that word, it was to command evil spirits to leave, command spirits of sickness to leave. And then another time when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that is for you to love one another. We have to be very careful that we don't become dictators and controllers. That we let conversations happen and for people to be a partner in the choices for their own lives. Even God in the Old Testament said to, to Abraham, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I want you to choose life, but the choice is still yours. We disempower people. We, we stifle strength when we try to control and choose for others. Amen, Leanne. And finally, sons with the spirit of a servant. Look at this. So, so the word is we are, we, are son, we are sons and daughters. But what kind of spirit do we have? Are we entitled sons and daughters? Are we spoiled brat sons and daughters? Are we blab it and glab it? And this is my, mm, this is my world you're just living in because I'm a child of the most high God. No. Okay, what does it look like? To, to carry the station of a son or a daughter in a proper way that represents the Spirit of God. I'll show you. John chapter number 13, starting in verse 3. Jesus knew he had come from God and would go back to God. Already, that just says everything. He knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was God's son. He knew God loved him. He knew his pers- purpose. He also knew that the Father had given him complete power. Look at that. So during the meal, just I want you to contrast these two things. So Jesus is saying right here, he knows the Father has given him complete power. So what did he do? He went and got up, removed his outer garment, 
and wrapped a towel around his waist. He put some water into a large bowl. Then he began washing his disciples' feet and drying them with the towel he was wearing. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew his power, his authority. But he knew that in order to express that to the world around him, he had to take the posture of a servant. Regardless of how privileged we may be and how many green rooms we get to be in and how many reserved parking spots and all the different things we get, let us never lose the heart of service. One of the prerequisites, and when I look across all our campus pastors, the female campus pastors, they are phenomenal servants. I know if I go to any single one of their homes, there's going to be a spread. They're going to be looking after people. They're going to be serving. They're going to be tending. They're going to be nurturing. And it's one of the key things we look for in someone in one of those positions. Are they a servant? Do they have a servant heart? In a world that is so massively entitled and all about it, us, it is something that has become increasingly rare and we can't lose the spirit of that in God's house because hospitality is the spirit of the kingdom. Did you know that? Bible tells us in the book of John that the word, the word, the doctrine became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And then what did he do? He moved into the neighborhood. He got up all amongst it. He was with the people. He had them in his home. One of the first incidences that we see of Jesus and the disciples, they said to him, teacher, where do you live? He said, come, come and I'll show you. And the Bible says that they hung out for the afternoon. If you don't have a servant heart, get one. You're not living the full expression of a child of God if you don't become and take the posture of a servant. Can I also say we have so many volunteers, so, so many volunteers in our church who turn themselves inside out to build this house. Whenever you see one, please say thank you. Please don't just walk on by and look down at your phone. Stop and say, Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for holding the door for me. You made this? You're incredible. What? What time did you get here? Thank you. I'm not talking about pandering or placating. I'm talking about honoring people who honor God with their time and their talent and their treasure. Let us never become entitled. I think a little bit of the shuffling of the last season was simply because a lot of God's sons forgot that they were also servants that were used to being served. And Jesus in this story, when he's washing the disciples' feet, we see Peter do two things. First of all, say, you can't wash my feet. And then say, no, hang on, wash my whole body. Like he just, he had verbal diarrhea a lot. He was a masterclass of what to say and what not to say. But I will say, you will have it in the wrong order if, number one, you can't have your feet washed. I need to allow people to serve me. It's right. And, and being Australian, I, there's something in you that kind of like, oh, please don't carry my Bible. I can carry my coffee. I look like a diva. I'm not a diva. I don't want people to think I'm a diva. But I had to actually just relax a little bit. Like this, this is meaningful. They like to do this. Leanne, can you get out of the way, even if it's this misappropriated Aussie residue of self-deprecation? and let somebody love you, but on the flip side, don't stop doing it to everybody else. 
So some of us, we have a problem with having our feet washed. No, no, no. But then others of us, we have a problem with washing people's feet. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you. Go and do likewise. I'm going to wash your feet, and I want you to do this to other people. Your feet should be washed, and you should be washing somebody else's feet. It's messy work sometimes. You've got to get all up in there sometimes. But God is requiring it of us because hospitality is the spirit of sons and daughters expressed through this beautiful servant heart. I love, um, I love that our staff Christmas party had an award for the most hospitable, the Betty Crocker Award. Where's Hannah O'Neillia? Is she here? Cool, come on. She has an applause. I can't tell you how many times that my Tommy has come home after spending some time having a game night, a dinner night, all those different things. I'm telling you, for a month, and clearly, you know, that's a big task because Tommy is so difficult. <laughs> Just kidding. He's not, for those of you who don't know him. He's the sweetest person in the world, always wonderful to have around. But um, it's just the most beautiful thing to have an open heart, to have an open home, to have a house that is somewhat inconvenient. We just had six weeks of house guests. And I, I won't tell you that I'm not ready for, I'm not, not ready for a break. However, like every part of me, I want to glorify God and build the kingdom. And we think it's our, we think it's our dazzling messages that change people's lives or our kick-butt leadership, but it's this. It's the way you serve. It's the way you treat somebody who maybe in your mind doesn't have any power to give you anything back. It's the way you say thank you in a world where nobody says thank you. It's a way you hold a door open. It's a way that you express the heart of God. I'd love it if you would stand to your feet. So let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers and people that reflect it beautifully in the spirit that we carry. And as our church gets larger, it's more important than ever that we make the congruency between the word, the doctrine of awakened church and the spirit in which it's manifest. Oh, I, I get sad sometimes when I hear stories retold that happened in my church. I'm like, what the heck? Why did they think that they could do that? Did they see me doing that? Did they see Pastor Jürgen doing that? Then they don't get to do it. You don't get to change the culture. That, that's reserved for here. Oh, well, I think I should do it my way. Wrong. Wrong. Do it our way or go plant a church. God bless you. We'll send you out blessed. We'll love you. We won't blacklist. We won't talk about you. We'll believe the very best for you, but you're not going to change this. This is the DNA given by the Holy Spirit. You can't change it. Don't misrepresent us. Don't put a spirit out there that is incongruent with the message of faith, hope, and love, fresh, real, and powerful. That's who we are. We believe in people. My gosh, we, we, we give them, thank God. I mean, look at Peter. I love the story of Peter in the Bible. He betrayed Jesus. And you don't see Jesus posting passive-aggressive Facebook posts. I just have a word to betrayers. You know, the, 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 the Bible says this, that when he got resurrected, so his, his, one of his last memories on earth was the rooster crowing as his BFF denies him three times. He wakes up. One of the first things he says to the women who come to the tomb is go tell the disciples and 
Peter. Just in case you think that Peter's out of the group, that, that he's been kicked to the curb, that he doesn't get a second chance because he flaked in kids' church and he ran his connect group into the ground for three months and that she was the face for the Bible college and then quit after three classes, go tell Peter slash Leanne that I've risen, I'm risen, I'm back. This is a kingdom where people don't live under labels and in boxes that they can't bust out of. This is a kingdom where everybody has a chance to build the kingdom of God with us, not just the word, but the spirit. Mind your manner. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Do you want to pray or do you want me to pray? You pray. You pray. Okay. Yeah. Just lift your hands. Father, thank you for this magnificent church. Thank you for these incredible people who love you so much, who are here today and sitting in one of these seats because they've said, I want to put my hand to the plow and, and I want to build the church. Father, help us build Awaken Church. Father, you are the master builder. Let us consistently look to you. Father, let us not be incongruent with the words we hear and the spirit we carry. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people, the expansion that we're having. God, let this be a monument moment where we look back and say, not just am I operating in the word, but am I operating in the spirit of God? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.